Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to this week's episode of the Game Dev Podcast. And today we will be talking uh, or gushing over uh, everything UE5, Unreal Engine 5. And today, as my uh, as my guest, we have uh, Chris Payne from Quantum Soup. Chris, can you join us? Sorry, a little bit slow. No problem. Hi, uh, happy to be here. <laughs> Thank you. So, um, as you probably all know, uh, Unreal Engine released, I think it's probably about six months ago now, a trailer for Unreal Engine 5. And it looked amazing. And it made a hell of a lot of big promises that we did not feel the people were skeptical that. Um, Epic would actually be able to deliver on. Um, and we were not expecting this for until next year. Uh, so is it, is it the end of next year or yeah? I think I think it was somewhere in the middle of somewhere around yeah, next year. However, a couple of days ago, they were going to do another live stream to show people the engine, but at the end of it, they dropped a link and they updated the, the downloader to allow everyone access to an alpha build. And this thing is amazing. And so this is what we will be chatting about today. Um, it's only been it's only been out for a couple of days. Uh, me and Chris have, have both had a play, and and Chris has gone deep on some of the documentation. <laughs> not to, um, so, uh, Chris, first impressions. Uh, first impressions that uh, it's it's genuinely revolutionary. Um, uh, it, it's extremely clever and it solves a whole raft of problems that um, game development generally suffers from. Um, and so it's it's absolutely game changing for environments and uh, for open worlds. Um, lesser impact on the character art and modeling, apart from that it's it's fast enough that it frees up some CPU for characters and uh and so on but uh yeah the 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 magic of nanite does not work on skinned meshes yes that's, that's one of the big takeaways so um there's a number of different features which which came with this version uh plus a lovely new uh ui however the show has been stolen by uh two different technologies that have come come out with it one of them that they've referred to as uh, nanite which is um a a sort of uh a lot so load on distance on steroids and um lumen which is their lighting system which it does not is is built kind of as an alternative to ray tracing and doing real-time uh bounce lighting which is yeah, which I, I think we'll go in detail, but there's still there's still a case for ray tracing because um, uh, Lumen <clears throat> only does kind of like global illumination. It won't do sort of like detailed reflections. So ray tracing will still be a benefit um, mm -hmm. uh, for that. But yeah, Lumen is um, is pretty impressive uh, stuff and it should. Um, I've only had a cursory play with it, but I think it will probably massively reduce the effort it takes to light scenes because they will just be, you know, physically close to physically accurate straight off the bat. And then it'll only require more artsy tuning rather than a lot of work just to try to make it look as if it's even real. Yeah, that's sort of sort of the impression that I, that I got. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's really odd because this thing is a massive efficiency improver. Because, so I suppose the, the big questions that come up, the ones I was looking, the ones that a lot of people were saying, is sort of it was sort of about system specifications. If if you're going to need to have massively more uh, hardcore sort of computers in order to to run this. Um, do, are you going to have to relearn everything? Does this mean in a year everything that we've learned in Unreal is 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 just useless? And what what are actually going to be the changes to sort of game dev um, workflows? 
So those those were the sort of practical questions uh, mm-hmm. that uh, that we were were sort of looking at. Um, so maybe if we we start off with those three, and then then we can just gush and speculate on the uh, on the how how it does it. <laughs> okay. So, um, so if, if, uh, yeah, if you sort of never met us before, I'm uh, an Unreal guy, and uh, Chris primarily most of your experiences in unity isn't it uh yes yeah uh, so, and, and proprietary engines all right so um so i i'm biased as as, as it is <laughs> uh and, and i've got some sort of my opinions on on what's going to change um the, the big annoying thing i find is is do i start working on this now Are you, knowing that it's not going to be not going to be stable for a year uh do i do i start because i want to use the toys that are in there but um you i I can't justify uh, developing on an unstable platform so it's a real tease (laughs) yeah i mean it's a that that is a bit of a a risk i suppose Uh, it's always good to to um pick a pick a version and uh, stick with it throughout your entire development period um but uh, yeah, I mean, I think if you're going to do something with Unreal 5 that really takes advantage of it, then you are still going to spend well over a year um, developing it anyway, just in, in order to create the the art that the system can display. Mm-hmm. Um, because you know, if you if you wanted to do something that was like simple enough to get done within a year, you wouldn't need Unreal Five anyway. Yeah, that, that's sort of my logic. You see, yeah. I, I want to play with it, but but the actual projects that I've got on, I mean, they, they don't have very large. They, they're not using the Quicksilver assets, assets, and they don't even have any assets which are even close yeah. to those. <laughs> and it's a it's a sort of the big big project I'm working on is is a, a borderline sort of two D simple sort of I mean, very simplistic things. So the lighting system is going to be overkill. So, yeah, it makes no sense to to yeah. use it. But um, yeah, so if we go through those questions quickly, what's um, your thoughts on relearning the engine? Do you think this is going to? I think it's um, it's not as big a change. Um... As you might think, I mean, the primary difference is that all of the side panels just uh, fold away and and you just pop them back up as needed. Uh, They've designed it to work that way so that you can um, use the majority of your screen for the um, 3D view. Uh, And I think that works really well um, in what little time I've spent with it. Uh, Obviously, I'm I'm not an uh, Unreal power user, so I don't have uh, any real expectations about where I should find things and everything I was going to look for earlier, I was taking time to find it just because I don't know the the UI. But I, I like the idea of, of everything folding away and giving you lots of space. I think it will speed things up. Yeah, the, the UI is lovely. Um, mm. uh, from my experience of it so far, there is, uh, there is borderline no, um, no sort of where all of the standard learning of how things work to me it looks like it's all pretty much the same what is different is like i'm having trouble finding a lot of the things that i would be used to finding in they've they've moved some things and i still haven't like located where they where they put them like uh and i haven't had a huge amount of time on it but generally speaking i feel like the to me it feels like a a cleanup of the it feels like a cleanup of the of the interface with a couple of bells and whistles mm-hmm. and then some i mean unreal have always been sort of throwing out cool stuff in each new release like because there are a bunch of things in this that, that that you would be i would be super excited about if they hadn't already resisted or released it. like niagara was amazing uh control rig was amazing yeah. and these are these are all things that they've been trying and they've been released uh, uh, on a practical day-to-day level they're actually will have more of an impact to me on my day-to-day workflow mm-hmm. than nanite and lumen will i love that they exist yeah but 
yeah. the control rig and Niagara and all of that stuff are actually things I'm going to be programming with or are actually yeah. things I'll be doing. I think probably the biggest change to the UI is the fact that uh, Quixel is uh, now just fully integrated into the um, into the UI. So you can just pop open a Quixel window. You can browse for assets on uh, um, Quixel Megascans, uh, just like download them, add them to your project. It does a, it does a whole bunch of stuff in the background. Um, uh, I did notice actually it's it actually seems to flow faster than you would expect and the reason for that is that unreal is still after it seems to have imported it into the project if you immediately try to place it in the scene it then pops up a, a, a loading bar to say sort of like oh we're not quite done yet because it was doing a bunch of stuff in the background and it's now you've actually now asked it to do something where you, it really needs it to be done so it has to make you wait but it's designed so that you you ask it to do that and it just does it in the background um and if you don't you know if you leave it for like 30 seconds before you actually drop it into the scene you'll ne you'd never know it's it's all built around a very um smooth user experience no they, that was a brilliant idea because because quixel bridge i'd already been using as a place to like dump all my assets and uh and it had become part of my workflow so to actually make it work make it part of the engine itself especially as they own them it's, it's genius having said that i haven't actually managed to get the login to work so i haven't actually been that's the one thing i haven't been able to get working <laughs> it worked fine for me uh, i i had to sign up because i i had a um i had an unreal account i've never used quixel at all but i just um authorized it with my unreal account and it worked yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's just a, a technical thing. I yeah. think it's a problem. My my epic account is a bit weird, so, so it's giving me it's giving me trouble. <laughs> but so, um, so relearning the engine, I think it's going to be very minimal. Most of it's going to be just finding where the buttons are being moved to. Uh, most of the time, it's very logical. Pretty much, uh, yeah. Um, the so the other question was: Would this change your workflow? Uh, I, I, I think. No, um, the only thing is the only thing this is going to do is it's going to create a number of shortcuts. Like now, with if you decide to just turn on Lumen and you decide to just just and to use Nanite for a bunch of things, they're just they're just switches you you flick in yeah. most cases. Yeah, I have to say I think it's been extremely well integrated uh, because in in rendering terms you have Nanite and you have everything else. And they are entirely different processes, which you can kind of tell when you go into the um, debug tools and you, you want to look at triangles, uh, for example. Uh, in your standard wireframe view, nothing Nanite shows up. And then you have a separate list of like debug uh, views specifically for Nanite that show you all the interesting stuff about Nanite. So it's basically two completely separate rendering processes but they are integrated very smoothly so that for example uh nanite um handles occlusion culling but nanite meshes are, are occluded by terrains and by non-nanite meshes i think i think this is actually quite quite a good point to just to, to stop could, could okay could i ask you could i ask you chris to summarize and explain nanite how you understand oh because yeah, you did a okay. brilliant job previously and, and <laughs> yeah, okay. we're talking about these things as, as if it's obvious but there, there may be this might be a lot of people's sort of first, yeah yeah first okay so i i did a little bit of digging uh obviously i i'm primarily using unity so unreal is a bit of a um uh, not so uh familiar with that but then nanite is a, is a new thing anyway but i was fascinated to find out exactly how it it worked so my understanding of it is what it does is that a nanite mesh it only works on kind of like rigid static meshes so not skinned meshes not translucent meshes not anything like uh, foliage that blows in the wind with a shader or anything because if it's moving then it, it it can't the system doesn't work and you'll see why um but uh, it takes a static uh rigid mesh uh i believe that it uh voxelizes it it takes the 
surface and breaks it up according to the voxels um, and then automatically lods each of those voxel chunks down. Um, I say voxels, uh, I think because the way that it works um, is that uh, it's built off the back of Lumen, which needs a voxel representation to propagate light through the scene. And so if you've got that voxel representation, you can also use it to cast from the camera and find what surface you've hit. So I think what they've done is they've used Lumen's voxel structure to do uh, to do a cast, possibly per pixel. Probably they've done some clever optimizations to do less casts, mm -hmm. but it casts out per pixel, sees what part of an object it hits, uh, and then it takes the uh, triangle cluster for for that voxel, sends that to the GPU, um, and then it repeats that for multiple pixels. There'll be probably some clever caching going on there. But ultimately, what it does is it, it uh, builds up a list to send to the GPU of all of the front-facing and visible-to-the-camera surfaces at the appropriate um, level of detail. So it's basically like MIP mapping for models. Um, and that because it's doing that, it means that if the model is off in the middle distance, it can load the lowest 3D MIP map. Um, it doesn't need to load millions of polygons. It can just load the few hundred polygons that, that give you the um, the rough shape of it. And then it can stream in the, the rest of the model in the same way that Unreal has been for years, dynamically streaming in uh, the, the upper um, MIP map layers of textures. Uh, so it builds on that existing tech. Uh, so they can they've been streaming in textures as you move around the level for years, and now they're going to do the exact same thing with models. But also they've taken away the the need for manual loading, and they've taken they've uh, taken away the need for um, occlusion culling because it's built into Nanite, and it's just it just solves so many things. I'm I heard somewhere as well that in some cases. The, the nanite sort of meshes can end, can end up being smaller on the system primarily because you can, a lot of the time, you don't need normal maps anymore. You can get away with using the the um, the geometry to, to, to produce the normal. <laughs> and yeah. so, I mean, it's, it still seems bigger in a lot of cases, but, but it's... Um, They're pretty... Big. I mean, I downloaded a nanite rock, and I I haven't measured this uh, properly, but it looked um, with a cursory glance, it looked like that single um, big rock outcrop um, was about half a gigabyte on its own. But that's generally that's generally Quixel on its own. I mean, if yeah. you load it into the old system, they're still going to be that big. I mean, it's... yeah, but you you wouldn't you wouldn't use a model that big uh yeah, in point. in the game yeah. so the, the the trick is like how big are the uppermost uh lods of the quixel system going to be and obviously also because you've got all of the the lod data in the same way that a mip texture stores not just your a 4k texture but also a 2k texture and a 1k and a 512 um yeah. uh, all the way down uh and that adds about 30 percent to the size of the data, there's going to be a certain level of that on uh, on Nanite, but I don't know what it is, and I because I I haven't dug deep enough to to figure that out yet. Um, I don't know exactly what they're doing on the surface either in terms of like materials, uh, shading, like normal maps, uh, that sort of thing. I presume that as long as the um, vertices are staying still, you can do whatever you like with the surface. But I could be wrong. It, it may not work with. Um, I don't know whether it works with animated textures. For yeah, example. that's one of the things I was interested yeah. in because, because my workflow I'll often use sort of um, masks and world space to to, to 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 sort of make things look a bit funky or move and, and <laughs> or I mean even like a lot of cases you can you can make sort of entire sections of things like sort of rotate within the material, which is is really useful and quite good fun in some instances, but. I don't think that'll work with Nanite. I'm going to have to test it and see what see what it does. Really, it is 
yeah, I can yeah. see that being a bit tricky because yeah, I I think it's really it's designed for stuff that is like static background stuff, mm. um, which sounds like it's limiting, but to be honest, I think like the the amount of complex work that it saves um, to do that means that you have so much more time and uh, CPU resources freed for everything else. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, Nanite doesn't directly benefit uh, character rendering, uh, but it does give you a little bit more horsepower to render those characters because you're not having, you know, the, the overdraw for Nanite is um, ridiculously small because of it's, it's doing this occlusion culling. Um, mm. uh, so there's very little overdraw with Nanite. And if you're, if you're terrain and all of your like static cliffs and tree trunks and stuff like that is handled by Nanite and rendered extremely efficiently, you've got so much more yeah because it's, it's very interesting because if you look at the project that came with it uh the valley of the ancients uh valley of the ancients i think um there are a number of very very specific choices that they've made and for, for mm -hmm. to start with they've, they've decided on a desert which is a a, a very uh stag uh it doesn't have lots of wavy trees it doesn't have lots of no. beautiful things like that so so that's perfect for nanite and and the other interesting thing i think is um if you when you get to the end of it you have this it's no particular spoiler because you've probably all seen it but, but you have a fight with a, a very large robot sort of an ancient robot now the the ancient robot itself is actually using nanite but mm -hmm. it's done that by the point that um it's not all it is is, is a combination of static meshes yeah i, I yeah, I think it was you who had a look at it, isn't it? It's got a, it's got a, a skeletal mesh underneath it, but I, bother it. Yeah, I didn't drill down into the uh, into the data and and examine it, but just like watching the trailer, they said that it was using nanite, which means, uh, which is a good thing. That means that nanite can work on uh, moving meshes, which means that you can nanite things like giant carved doors that can open, um, uh, but. I think like with this particular boss, uh, obviously those those big metal plates attached to the uh, to the rig were using nanite. If you if it was say a more human character, you could use nanite on the um, breastplate and the you know shoulder armor or on uh, you know any any part of the character that is rigid and uh, non uh, non skinned. Uh, but yeah, I, I think, and you know, that'll benefit some characters, um, but not others. So, uh, I think there will still be a need for, for manual loading, uh, for characters oh, yeah. for a while. But as you said, comes up with, something. with the saved, the saved processing power that you get for using Nanite, then you, you, you can afford to, 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 you've, you've got more, you've got more processing power to spend. <laughs> so yeah. you can just, <laughs> not just the saved processing power also, but like art power. I mean, like how many art, how, how many person hours have been wasted with artists having to create, um, reduced polygon versions um of an asset just so that the game can run at a decent speed you know like that that's not i mean i know that like there are a lot of artists out there who have a like pretty good skill set at doing that and they do a good job of approximating uh, a detailed object with a smaller number of polygons and you know like that it's a it's a form of artistry in itself but i imagine it's a bit less fulfilling than actually crafting you know interesting furniture or characters or you know yeah, landscapes yeah. there's not many people who get into this industry going i want to take a really high poly model and make slightly worse ones of it <laughs> there, there can't be you know so i i really hope that it's going to free up a lot of artists to actually get to make beautiful art um instead and mm. you know so it, it it means that games can be done either faster with the same um 
number of artists or you can make the game with fewer artists because you don't need to be creating quite so much uh you know like duplicated content as it were <laughs> yeah. so okay so well then let's let's quickly move on to lumen could you give us your 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 breakdown of lumen please yeah uh not so um quite i don't quite understand lumen as thoroughly because but it is slightly less revolutionary because uh the principles of propagating light through uh through a space for um global illumination are are quite well developed now what unreal have done that is impressive is that they've made it work in real time um but the way that they've made it work in real time is by spreading the load so it is constantly um doing a partial um update of the scene um so you can see when you move the light you can see that the global illumination takes um a few frames to catch up um i haven't attempted to measure it but um I, i'd say it might be as many as 10 frames or so uh so the global illumination lags very slightly behind uh, the light movement it's not distracting uh but it means that the you know if it if it's 10 frames then that means that it's only doing 10 percent of the work that it needs it would have to do to fully light the scene every frame so by splitting it across 10 frames they've made it 10 times faster effectively hmm. i i mean when you first told me about that i i i didn't i didn't think you were right i thought you got it wrong and now having gone back and played with it, it it's all i can see and it, and it sort of drives me nuts <laughs> i'm so sorry <laughs> it's, I, it's i created good. this scene to, to, to test it out specifically and I, and I just animated a whole load of lights and brought them in at sort of random intervals and stuff like that and i can see these patches that, that run behind them so you can see just areas coming in and I even like converted the bullet on the, the, the on the default template to 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 a a, a, a luminous uh, texture. Oh, nice! Uh, and um, and it it looks fantastic, but it's really visible when it's really sort of fast stuff, and you're in a completely dark room. Yeah. So it's it gives me a better idea of how of how it yeah. works there'll be some limitations on that but i mean like that's the price of being a game dev man isn't it is like you, mm. you play a game and all you can see is kind of like oh bit of a lod pop oh sorting error <laughs> uh, you know oh streaming streaming in a bit late <laughs> yeah. it, it does i hardly ever play computer games anymore this <laughs> is quite sad <laughs> so, we, we have ruined an entire field of entertainment for ourselves yeah. <laughs> um yeah so i mean lumen i was i was very impressed by it. and i think i'd probably make more use out of that than i would nanite at the point just because i i, I think the people who really benefit from this are people like really high profile games i know you're saying that it's going to cut out a lot of um a lot of work but i well, you work. You've worked on a lot more games, and so you've worked in the sort of AAA space. So, so you've you've got a far better idea of, of where this would have saved people's man hours and stuff. But the things I work on, usually prototypes, usually smaller, and they're usually in scope a lot smaller. So, uh, and neither of these things would would do much to affect my workflow. I have less baking light, less figuring out where the light is going to go, sort of thing. That's that's the probably not. Problem. But flip side of that is that you can make you can now make your prototypes um, a whole lot more visually impressive mm. um, should you choose to. Uh, I mean, obviously, if you're deliberately going for a, a like a very sort of like um, minimalist cartoon style, then like yeah, nanites really not going to do a lot. Well, that, that's uh, my problem. If I if I drop a Quixel uh, asset in into any of the, the the ones that i'm working on it's going to stand out like a sore thumb i'd, I'd have to yeah. do some clever post-processing to make it look like it fit in yeah <laughs> that said that said you could still build incredibly um complex and elaborate uh spaces in a with a stylized look um and nanite those 
for um, efficiency. So mm -hmm. even if the surfaces don't have um, a massive amount of detail, you can still benefit from Nanite doing the occlusion culling for you. Mm. Uh, so you could have, you know, you could make a very crude box house that is really cartoony and you could draw, still draw thousands of them out to the horizon. Yeah, using yeah Nanite. that's a good point. That so was, yeah. even, even with cartoon assets, you, you will still get um, a benefit. So something like, um, trying to try to think of a, a good example um, now, the, uh, um, Pixar's uh, Coco, the um, uh, the city of the of the dead. Uh, in that is oh, like yeah. one of the most complicated scenes that I can imagine, and it's all very stylized. Um, or I say stylized, it, Pixar stylized, where everything yeah, still oh, yeah. looks kind of photorealistic, but still cartoony. It's it's kind of like um, it's almost the worst of both worlds from a technical perspective. But anyway, you could do something like that 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 was um, still a cartoony looking game, but you could just go crazy with the, with the scale of it without having to worry. Mm. No, yeah. makes a lot of sense. It's right. So, um, I've got a couple of other notes of the other things that are on the system, but anything you want to add about Lumen before I, um, I don't know. I think, I think the, the benefit the big benefit of having dynamic global illumination i think is that uh like i said um up top th that means that you will by default you will be able to get a reasonably close to photorealistic look um and then so you you will have achieved that baseline just by putting it into unreal and then it's just a case of fine tuning it to the balance, the brightness of the light and the like, um, uh, and the surfaces and, and then maybe like, uh, adding some sort of like kickers and, uh, fill lights just to create exactly the look that you want. Um, I think it, it means that you will spend more time being artistic and less time just trying to be technical. Yes, totally. I think if this means, that I don't have to go and bake the light and <laughs> sit there and wait for it to see if I've done it right. That in itself is is going to be a huge time saver. That's a really good point. I mean, to a certain extent, I think you'll still probably get better results from um, an offline bake because that can do really quite intricate detail. And I don't know how granular um, Lumen gets. Um, I should have... Uh, all my tests I did was, was on the default scene, which had like giant cubes in it. Yeah. I should have done something that had some fine detail so I could see how it worked around that. What but I've seen, somebody, I've seen somebody do a fruit bowl, really? so oh. which presumably not at the same scale as a, like a two meter cube. Yeah. What I kind of like to test is say you say I was going to bake the lighting, but, but if I, I put it in Lumen to start with, did a did a scene and got the lighting how I liked it, and then I just swapped it over to standard and then baked that and see how close it looked to what was in Lumen, because that would enable me to 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 put the scene together, being able to see instantaneously what what the effects were, and then go away and use the the old system to uh, for for the baking if I'm if that's what i'm going to have in my in my packaged version that's a really good point actually yeah if you can if you can use lumen for like prototyping your mm. lighting and then and, and just go well it looks good in lumen so now i'm going to do a posh bake and because uh, it's yeah. like in blender because in blender when if you can get hold of of one of the new carts if you can get hold of a 3090 or mm. something like that what you can do at that point is you can then work in near rendered quality so that you can just you can wow. edit stuff as it, it close to near rendered and, and that as as a speed up for for a, a design process is is incredible because as soon as you've got to go away and push a button and wait for it to come back to you you, you just yeah. it just slows the whole process down yeah. so i i think that's that i hadn't thought of it before but that's probably the thing that's going to be most exciting about lumen for me Mm. is even if i don't end up using it for the production just just the ability i mean you can do it with movable lights and, and sort of stuff like that so it's not that 
It's a good point. I mean, I've been saying for a while that we we've reached a, a tricky um, inflection point where consoles are now powerful enough to render um, very close to photorealistic scenes, but only a handful of companies in the world have the resources to create the um, assets that look photorealistic in in the level of detail that, that is required because it's it's so intensive um it'd be interesting that it hadn't occurred to me that uh the tech wouldn't just um affect the, the that, that technical progression doesn't just affect the end result it also affects the tools that people are using so if we can if we have like some more innovations like unreal have just delivered that uh make it quicker and easier to work at a, a photorealistic level that's going to make it a lot easier for companies because like with with um Nanite and Quixel, sort of like even a one-man studio could now go in and uh, put together a landscape that looked photorealistic, um, and and you know make an environment entirely on their own, and they can do it very very quickly, and they won't have to spend any time um, optimizing it because most of that is handled by Nanite. Mm. So that has just eliminated an enormous amount of work that previously that sole sole developer would have needed. Um, additional artists and uh, programmers to help them make it all functional, basically. Uh, and also, the, the other thing that is notable is that I know that Unreal have been um, uh, reaching out into like visual effects, uh, like TV and film industries. If this brings the uh, those two industries, games and visual effects, closer together because we're doing very, very similar things. I mean, it's games that has driven the like the development of graphics cards that visual effects have been sort of like using to sort of like do fast renders for ages. But if we can get to the point because visual effects are always looking to create the absolute best looking result, whereas in games we're always looking to make it run uh, in real time, and that's the the um our hard limit we can't go any we can't get any better with the with the look of the graphics if it drops below at least 30 frames per second mm. so anything that um brings those two sort of like industries closer together is going to be great because it means that we'll be able to have um uh, incredibly talented visual effects artists moving into games and bringing their experience of uh, you know, incredibly detailed simulation into the game space. And then we'll also, you know, see um, games. Of it. It'll just bring the, both those fields a lot closer together. Oh, yes. Yeah. I, I mean, this is this is one of the things that's been underpinning it, because I mean, when I've worked with I, I work with, a, I mean, they call it virtual production. And it mm. was the, the Mandalorian, which which made made it famous that yeah. you've got these huge, great big uh, you're filming stuff with huge, great big LED walls behind it so that you can you can actually capture the you can actually capture the the background and get all the lighting from the led screens so that you yeah. can just have the actors in front of these massive led screens and uh an unreal has been massively exploding in that especially with covid yeah. recently but it does make it very interesting because i i come from games but i'm now i'm going to be working on a number of different two different studio sets and um and it's fascinating because there are a few things the thing is this could be a completely different topic so i don't want, i don't want to <laughs> go too far into it but um but there is this dwell of like a lot of the tv companies are trying to get um people from the gaming industry to go over to it i, I haven't seen much bleed in the other direction yet because especially as uh thing but as everything starts to go real time it, it's going to go that way because Games have been doing it for a very, very long time, but now yeah. the, the the they're close enough, and the technology is there that the the the, the two the two um, fields of entertainment plus a lot of a, one of them is a live event that I'm working on, and that's got to be it has to be live real time. It's filmed yeah. at that point, so it has to be, um, which is is fascinating. But the other thing is you don't see is 
what's fascinating and this really is kind of off topic is but as a games programmer going into the to the the entertainment tv and stuff like that as you walk in there even having a, a small amount of coding knowledge means that you can do wild things that they've because they are not used to tearing things apart and making it do things or build out logic or anything like that. Mm. So when you can sit there and you can go in and you can, it, what's just completely obvious from a games program point of view, because you're used to, to building scripts to, to make things do that and you feed out just basic coding. It, it's like, it, uh, that is a kind of real interesting superpower. It's like, yeah, I really, if you ever get a chance, Chris, I, I really recommend I, going I, and doing it. Because I'm it's... very interested. I must admit, I'm uh, um, I've done a bit of amateur um, directing um, in my time. Done some music videos and stuff. Um, I'm fascinated by um, virtual production. I think it, it it's fantastic because uh, it's another one of those things that it solves a whole bunch of problems all in one go. Um, so I believe they they still. Um, like I mean, for wide shots, they still need to sort of like post process it to to comp everything um, in nicely. But I think for close ups, they may be if it's if it's shallow depth of field um, on on a uh, on a character on an actor rather. Um, sorry, we're we're in movies, not games. <laughs> if it's shallow shallow depth of field on an actor. I think they might be able to get away with just using the LED screen in the background. Well, it really depends on like how big your LED screen is. Well, yeah, <laughs> it's like, but yeah, shallow depth of field is you, you can do some great great stuff. Sorry, go on. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I mean the the one that I'm I'm working on. Uh, next week it's a composite between numerous things it's only got a small led screen and then uh we're using the disguise system to it's a it's a bit of a mess to be honest but <laughs> but um I, i'm not supposed to talk about it <laughs> ndas man ndas <laughs> for, for, oh. you'd, for you'd love it you'd, you'd find it i, I would i'm I am interested. One of the things that I think is fascinating about the, the process that they use on the, the Mandalorian is that not only does it kind of like replicate the environment uh, for them so you can get, for example, reflections in the Mandalorian's armor, which is the, the most obvious um, example. Mm. But it's also good for the uh, actors to get a sense of the environment that they're um that their character is in when they're delivering their performance uh so that's good and it also because it's real time it allows um the uh director to uh, tweak things uh quite nicely so i know that for example they've got a wraparound environment but then they can put like big black cards into the virtual scene to kill uh, a glare from a particular direction um mm. That, that's that's off camera but it's creating sort of like a distracting reflection in on you know on the uh in the actor's eyes or something like that um or you could you know you could deliberately change the, the behind the camera half of it so that that is showing something different that is you know lighting the the character the actor differently i can see as these screens get more um sophisticated i can see us dropping standard lights entirely in favor of uh virtual ones because if you're completely surrounded by a screen and you can just digitally move the key light around that's so much faster yeah. than than having to sort of like stop production in order to ha like have a, a team of lighting technicians get in and, and move, move the thing it means oh, that yeah. lighting technicians will work more and more digitally and they will be able to come up with um uh, lighting much more sort of like sophisticated lighting solutions in less time change like have a bunch of presets and swap them in seconds all sorts of efficiency um uh, and that's where i think you um, you I, I think that those thoughts of these things have gone a lot into the ue5 especially because yeah. quixel is brilliant for this uh the whole screen thing makes a lot more sense when you're when you're if you're hoping people are going to be doing the, the sort of art direction a bit more than having all this content panel in and stuff uh and the, even down to the small things like the lights and the cameras have bigger bigger more obvious logos now 
and I have a feeling they might even rotate. If, uh, better check that before I go and say. <laughs> uh, so, um, so spotlight. So I'm just going to go look at that. No, they don't. I'm wrong. Okay, I'll take that back. I'm not going to say that. But I have, <laughs> I have noticed that like Unreal's uh, 3D icon for the for the camera um, is now a. Uh, I'm not sure how long it's been this way, but it is now a, a a pro level camera with kind of like the sort of um, the I can't remember what they're called now the the like the, like the metal um, struts that you sort of like assemble your sort of like your lens um, rig on and a little sort of like focus pull knob and uh so on and like the big hood around the around the oh, lens it's oh, it. it's like a little cartoony representation of a professional film camera rig um but a small well, one a digital camera not not a not an old-fashioned uh cine projection one so they is, know their market they know who they're... more accurate but that's the cine camera i mean because even in the last one you, you had the game camera which was blue and then you had the, the and then you had the, the the cine camera which was black and slightly more complicated so <laughs> it, it looked but i mean i don't I, I think it's great. I, I think it's great. Everything's yeah. going this way. I mean, it's it, it's yeah. It, I mean, they're they're going in every direction they can whiz. I mean, mm. there's all this thing that they, they're trying to create a, a metaverse and sort of slightly slightly uh, unexplained what it is, but it's the suggestion it's a kind of Ready Player One sort of thing, but. Everyone and their dogs kind of trying to do that at the moment. I think everyone knows we're going to go there at some point. Oh, so it's going to be several competing metaverses. You know, it's yeah. going to happen, and, and and some of them are good. And then there's going to be factions of of uh, players who who um, all insist that the other metaverses are rubbish. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, that's, you, that's just going to happen. But it's a it's a really exciting time. Uh, I, I think hmm. because it's just getting rid of like technical roadblocks to free up people's creativity is it, it's a win-win for everyone i mean this is even a win for um for unity in in a sense because um obviously that they, they they're going to have to push hard to compete with this they'll come up with something they're probably already working on on something either they've already got a lot of stuff in unity that um uh makes it um very easy to use in a in a virtual set environment uh, i don't think they've been pushing quite as hard as unreal have um yeah. they're gonna have to do something dramatic okay. so so this is Nana. my question to you as, as somebody who with a lot of experience of unity and somebody who is presently working on uh, mm -hmm. a, a game in unity for for future projects would this tip the scales would this mean that you consider coming over to the dark side <laughs> i'm very seriously considering it i have to i have to admit because it's it solves so many problems this one piece of technology um it does so much and it remove like i say removing all of the technical roadblocks there um you know i could take i could take the um early access version of ue5 and i could start building an open world in it and i, I mean apart from the fact that it would be a pretty naff looking open world built by a single programmer not an artist With beautiful um, quixel assets i can i could build it and it obviously it would also be made entirely out of uh, quixel assets because uh, but i could build that build that out and all of the the technology that um unreal we've not even talked about the um um uh, the open world chunking that they've built into yeah. ue5 um that stuff so and again it's like the like the mipmap textures and like the nanite meshes they're just making it so the levels will be also um just dynamically kind of streamed in so it will stream in the stuff that is around the start point in the level and then it will stream in other things that belong to that level as you approach them um using nanite using textures uh and using this sort of um uh, open world uh, chunking system. I can't remember what they call it, but uh, it, it's it's all the sort of 
the, the typical things that all open world games have done using mm. proprietary tech for years and um, Epic have just figured out a way to make it just work automatically like all of their other tech. And I'm I think so called it world partitioning. World uh, partitioning, thank you. Yeah, I, I have to admit, much as I like Unity, I'm so tempted to give UE5 a go for the next project just because of all of the things that I will not have to do if I choose UE5 that I know, as far as I know, currently, if I choose Unity, I will still have to um, take responsibility for uh, con you know, managing streaming, managing LODs, uh, managing culling. All of those things ha have got to be uh, done. And that, that is an enormous amount of work. Mm. So by just going sort of like, oh, if I pick UE5, I can just build it and it works that is such you know that that is worth learning a, a whole new ui and um you know i'm sure that, that i will find some like hurdles with uh, unreal don't get me wrong uh, because there's certain things that uh some of the features i like about unity is it's very very versatile whereas unreal is very specifically built to do a particular thing um first or third person action games um if you want to do something that isn't quite one of those, it's going to get really complicated. Um, many mobile games, Unreal mobile games that I'm aware of. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Um, you know, Unity is really, really versatile for just being able to write a little bit of C Sharp, which I like to be able to do as a programmer, and just attach it to an object um, and have it do something. And you've created a very self-contained little thing and then you can it's very easy to sort of like yoink that and then plug it in other places and i know that you can do similar things with unreal and blueprints um there'll be a bit of a learning curve for me on that but if you already know blueprints and you know yeah then... are you, well i mean as long as you know c plus plus you don't have to touch blueprints if you're if you're an old school proper coder who knows how to ah well i, mean, I do know i do know c but i will say that like there's there's C plus plus and there's C plus plus and Unreal is because of how powerful it is. It is so crazily over engineered and like the the inheritance stack for uh, oh, things yeah, is incredibly complex and mm -hmm. that is an awful lot of learning to do in order to insert some small change. So. Um, I I think I'm gonna stick to sort of like maybe writing sort of uh, my own custom blueprint nodes in C++ so that I can just sort of like hook my own little bit of C++ that doesn't have to touch the Unreal code. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, there, there's um there's different there's pros and cons to everything. Here's a good question. Okay, so Chris, in your experience, okay, so there are say you're a AAA and you're out there mm -hmm. okay now if you are a big if you're a big game developer um a hell of a lot of big game developers will, will create and build their own engines so that they don't need to go and pay uh, epic their cut if they know they're going to be selling millions yep. it's worth it to them to to, yep. to um to, uh, to to build their own one uh now do you think this is going to make many people many of those huge AAA companies move over from their proprietary systems into that, what's your that is a good question i think it will depend on how much technical debt they feel they have accrued already uh because if they have uh if they are happy with their own engine if they've done a whole bunch of like innovative stuff. So for example, let's take um, Horizon Zero Dawn um, or well, more uh, more topically uh, uh, Forbidden West, um, like trailer drop for that recently, it looks gorgeous. Mm -hmm. um, in the first game, they had uh, some very, very smart uh, GPU uh, detail uh, population. So when, as you're moving around the world, it was uh, dynamically populating the landscape with grass and small shrubs uh, uh, as you move. And so you could um, 
like there were roads defined by splines um, in Horizon Zero Dawn. You could grab the spline, move it in the editor, um, and after like a less a short pause, less than a second, all of the vegetation would update to be mm. to fill in the gaps that were not covered by the road and get rid of all the stuff where you just moved the road onto. And that was just happening live in their editor. Um, so there will be some companies uh, like Gorilla who've got a very sophisticated proprietary engine that does a whole bunch of stuff that is really good for uh, for what they're building uh, and that um, Unreal doesn't do straight out of the box. I'm sure they could build that in Unreal. Well, I think there is there is a couple of things, a couple of landscape things they've got that could do that. I, I could do that relatively quickly. I mean, they've got they've got this tool they they brought out for, for part of Fortnite where you can lay, uh, you can create a rule based sort of environment yeah. where you can put spines down and and it has they've got some clever stuff there. It's possibly, it's possibly but, a poor example because yeah, is, as you say, but like, I get it as a concept. Yeah, yeah it's a common it's, it's nitpicking common to pick yeah. the specific. It's like they would have built. Yeah, they would have built clever things specifically uh, for what theirs works with, yeah. and and the other thing is is that they'll have experience. You'll have a whole you'll have a yeah. whole office of uh, yeah. hundreds of people who are all used in to which get... in which case well, their decision then is, do we want to change engines and like move all of our staff onto a different production pipeline, um, causing everybody to have to relearn stuff. Um, and possibly a whole bunch of like engine programmers to to have to look elsewhere for work or find them new like new roles within the within the company. Mm. That's a, it's a significant upheaval for a for and a large give company. Epic their cut. And give <laughs> Epic their I can't remember what it is, like 10-15% cut um on, on the profits. Um, or or would it be cheaper to set your existing um, incredibly talented engine programmers to work reverse engineering nanite and coming up with something <laughs> very very similar yeah i know which my money's on i bet there are engine programmers across the globe this weekend beavering away trying to figure out if they can um make something similar to nanite work in their own engine um, I was wondering if they've like protected it by any patents or something like we're gonna have probably, cases. It's, I don't yeah. it's very hard, you know, you'd have to be very clever to, to I mean that that is kind of the like the exact purpose of, of a patent. I've I've got to be honest. I mean, I was not a fan of um uh oh, I've forgotten who was was it um not Taito, um Capcom was it Cap the people who did the uh, loading screen? That was it, yeah. Uh, yeah. I can't remember who it was now. Was it Capcom? I somebody yeah. for a long time, somebody had patented the idea of like loading screen, playable loading screens, playing a game while things loaded. So um, that did not affect streaming, background loading during normal gameplay. But if you wanted to go, okay, we're loading here, so we're just going to run a little mini game in front of it, not allowed because of a patent. That's that helpful. that was in my view that's just patent abuse because it, it's not protecting it's not really protecting any sort of like intellectual property um uh because like you know that that idea is so flimsy as a concept that you know it's barely worth the the patent whereas nanite uh is like pure technical witchcraft and I would say thoroughly deserves to be patented and Epic, you know, ha have uh, benefit from the work that they've put into creating this fantastic technology. Other people will come up with something similar. Mm. Um, but that, at least that... they'll have to put some work into getting. Yeah. <laughs> That's the uh, thing is because it's open source as well. I mean, you actually imagine that if you're clever enough, you, you'd be able to, you'd be able to pick it apart. If you, I mean, I mean, that may be why Epic haven't um, uh, patented it, because from Epic's perspective, it may be that, well, look, we've we've teased this. We've now like released the early access version. People are now free to pick it over and the people will people will steal the tech and put it into their own engines. But they will still be like, what, two years, three years behind Epic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
it, it you know it nanite is not a not a quick sort of like oh that's a good idea i'll just hack it in it's a complete new rendering pipeline uh so you know that has to uh and it's not not even a replacement it's got to gel nicely with your existing rendering pipeline so if you're doing like casting to see what which nanite um cluster you're going to hit it's it's got to be aware of the existing uh, meshes like the landscape and and like the cubes that you you've got in there as well so it's it's a, it's a tricky one um i think probably that the big studios are going to come up with their own tech that um that mimics the the mimics nanite in in principle it might not you do the, exactly the same you know now that the now that the idea is out there there will mm. be lots of people like me who are going bloody hell that's clever yeah. but maybe they'll be able to think of a thing that would improve on nanite um, possibly i mean especially with some of the power of some of these cards that are coming out because it's like is you can get away with a lot more yeah. I, I think a lot of if you had if you if you were a, a, like an EA at the beginning of your life, like when you were starting to get investments and beginning and you're starting to build up, I think it, this makes Unreal a hell of a lot more of a palatable solution rather than yeah. designing your engine from scratch. I mean, uh, the, it, I they're so. worth giving them their 15, 10, 15%. Yeah. That is... said, I think that there is, there is also benefit to being sort of like the second person to come along developing this tech because you can guarantee knowing as, as a programmer there will be some stuff in nanite some sort of like quirks of of the system um the epic's own team are not fully happy with um but because you know they had to conceive this system before they built it mm. um and there will be a certain amount of course correction that they were able to do as they went sort of like, oh, OK, we can we can do this. And that's that's fast. But because we have to do this, that's slowing us down and, and so on. Or because we have to do this, it creates this um, artifact. There may be some little um, issues that they would have liked to have fixed, but they were too far down the nanite road to go back and do it and and maybe there's a way maybe instead of kind of like small sort of like abs you know random shaped clusters maybe there's a benefit to do it in like linear strips or something i don't know like you know in the same mm. way that, that doom did um sort of like rendered the world in like vertical strips um um but the price the cost of that was that you couldn't tilt the camera uh <laughs> so right. but you know the um there will be all sorts of different like trade-offs and things uh so i think it will be fascinating to see what um people at you know at, at, at gorilla at ubisoft come up with next in in reaction and and unity yeah, uh, in particular the looking at this tech there will be people at unity who are basically sort of like digging through the um unreal source right now trying to sort of like make sure that they fully understand exactly what nanite is doing and then they will be conceiving sort of like a nanite beating system. Yeah. Um, yeah, that'll be interesting. That will be that will be it a few be, years yeah. down the line. But you know, there will there will come a point when nanite um, looks old fashioned because it's got occasional like lod pops and like Unity ha now have a system that sort of like I don't know dynamically tessellates and blends between things, so there's never any pops, um, <laughs> uh, and you know it the the improvements uh, that we're seeing are getting sort of like the visual improvements at least are getting really really tiny but the production improvement for for the workflow the, the, the more i the more yeah the more i talk to you i think the exciting thing here is is the workflow yeah if you can yeah anything that makes these things simpler because uh, i mean the graphics that are, are in these stuff i i mean it's the point that you can get like a zbrush model I'm not even bothered to retopologize everything just throw it straight in <laughs> so, like, it's like, i mean and photo we, we've been playing around with a lot of um photogram. Photo rendering, photogram yeah. stuff and and all of that can just go straight into the uh, mm. admittedly we did actually do a lot of um 
reducing down the poly count. But no, it's all very exciting. Anyway, I there were other things that we could mention, but that they all pale in insignificance compared to <laughs> compared to Nanite and Lumen, to be I honest. A bit. <laughs> I mean, it's been yeah, it's a very, very impressive system. Um, well, thank you very much, Chris. It, it's been a uh, been a pleasure, a pleasure talking to you, and, and thanks for sitting there and going through the the system in such detail. <laughs> it was really <laughs> pleasure. One of my clients uh, described me as being like a kid in a candy store trying to figure it out. There's nothing a programmer likes more than trying to reverse engineer somebody else's clever trick. And, the, and there's nothing more than a, an unreal specialist likes uh, than a, a Unity person gushing over <laughs> the, the, the new <laughs> Okay, so I think I will sign off there then. So everyone, we have been Game Dev London. Uh, we do podcasts, Twitch, and Discord. Um, and to find any of these, please visit us at gamedev.london. Thank you very much, everyone. Thanks, Ed. Goodbye. Cheers, guys.